0: hey there martians so we're closing out on 2020 here and i thought it was a great time to check in with some updates about what's going on with me and the podcast and what's ahead for 2021 now as you may remember about a year ago i announced that i had left my job to begin what i am calling the going pro campaign Uh, i want to make space content full-time and with your support We took a leap into 2020, ready to transform my own life. Well, of course, no one got through 2020 the way they expected, uh, and the same goes for me. But all in all, phase one of going pro largely kept to plan. I've acquired some new skills in web development and programming. I got a new job that I can do 100% remotely, which helped me feed all of my former commute time into building up infrastructure for my work here in space. Now, thanks to these efforts, we were able to accomplish a lot together. I'm really proud of the perseverance coverage we did this year, including an interview with ULA CEO uh, Tori Bruno, our first ever We Martians live stream on YouTube. We did a two part virtual LPSC poster session featuring a dozen different scientists. Uh, We attended our first ever Explore Mars conference. And then over on the off nominal feed, we did an interview with the NASA administrator himself, Jim Bridenstine, and we raised over $35,000 for Black Girls Code and the Banneker Institute in support of racial equity in STEM. Oh, and we put out more episodes this year than any other year on both feeds. Okay, that's a lot when I say it all at once. Now, next month is a really special milestone for us. It's going to be our fifth anniversary of the very first We Martians episode. I'm still cooking up a plan for what that show is going to look like. I want to do something really special for it. But as I look ahead to 2021, I realize there is a lot more that we get to do together. We've got three spacecraft arriving at Mars in February. We've got ongoing decadal survey work. It's a big year for Starship, Vulcan, probably SLS one way or another. Uh, We've got a change of government in the United States and therefore NASA, possibly the first CLIPS mission to the moon and more. And in 2021, Going Pro has to continue as well. Now, I don't have enough concrete details to share everything with you yet, but phase two of Going Pro is already in motion and I should have some pretty exciting stuff to share early next year. But I can't do any of this without your support. Ultimately, I want to be a self-sufficient space reporter, so I, I can do all of this without needing a day job. We took a big step forward in 2020 towards that goal, but we're not there yet. And so to entice anyone still on the fence, we've got a couple of goodies for you here today. So first, you're going to enjoy a free episode of Red Planet Review right now. This is our weekly podcast we do exclusively for patrons who pay $3 or more as part of our membership program. We cover headlines in space for the whole week, from planetary science to rockets, space policy, and more. All of this, of course, with a Mars, and let's admit sometimes a moon flavor to it. Uh, It's short to the point, and it's a whole bunch of extra space content you can add to your podcast player in your very own special private RSS feed. But I'm also going to be sweetening the deal for new patrons, too. So if you join between now and January 8th at the $5 level or higher, you're going to get a custom thank you postcard from me with a sticker pack. I'll throw some We Martians and off-nominal stickers in there. And even better, if you join at the $15 level or more, uh, I'll include a Season 4 mission patch as well. This is uh, the amazing patches that were made by Beth Kerner for us this year to celebrate uh, the fourth season of We Martians. Uh, this deal is for new patrons and it expires at the end of the day, Friday, January 8th. So head over to com slash support now to join up. Plus, uh, don't forget all the other perks of being a patron as well, including the $5 level where you get early notice of interviews, a chance to contribute questions, um, and access to probably the most undersold part of our membership, the community Discord. It's this super interesting, wholesome, and amazing community of people who come together to share their love of space. There's nowhere else I like to be when we're experiencing all the cool space news that happens every week. Now, if being a patron isn't your thing, uh, we're also having a sale in our shop. So you can order any two items now uh, between now and uh, January 8th as well. And you'll get free shipping on that order. So just use the code GoingPro at shop.wemartians.com. But overall, I really appreciate all of your support. I can't wait to get into 2021 and keep this Mars train going. All right. So enough talking. Let's uh, Let's get to the space stuff here. Welcome to Red Planet Review for December 5th, 2020. So the biggest story this week in planetary science is, of course, out of China. Now, I have to admit, I am a little embarrassed that I did not cover the launch of China's Chang'e 5 mission last week. I actually straight up forgot about it when I did the show. I was so eager to read about this story that I went and plucked the articles out of my RSS feed early and uh, forgot to tag them as saved items, which uh, means they are completely absent from my flow and I was a little scatterbrained last week. But that's okay because... The successful launch was obviously important, but the activities this week were far more important. So on Tuesday, China's Chang'e 5 mission, which is, of course, a lunar sample return mission, touched down on the surface of the moon in the ocean of storms near a place called Mons Rumker. Uh, The spacecraft had separated from its companion orbiter the day before, and that orbiter is now waiting for it in lunar orbit. After the landing, it got to work really quickly, uh, pushing a drill bit down to the surface to get some samples from below. Uh, And they also had this kind of scoop arm uh, mounted on the platform, which they were able to use to uh, scoop, uh, you know, samples off the uh, surface. And then just like that, 48 hours after landing, it lifted off again, rocketing the samples back to lunar orbit, where it is currently right now, as I speak in this kind of rendezvous sequence and phasing with the uh, with the orbiter, to try and dock with it, it should be docked here uh, Saturday afternoon very quickly. And then once that it's on its way home and we're going to have these samples in human hands as early as mid-December. So that's uh, that's pretty remarkable. This is the first lunar sample return mission since the early uh, 70s when the Americans, of course, collected rocks as part of Apollo. But the Soviets also did a robotic uh, sample return mission as part of their lunar uh, Luna program. Excuse me. So it's been a while and this is China's first attempt at it. They're also performing the very first ever autonomous robotic docking outside of Earth orbit. So that's a pretty remarkable technical achievement. They're going to be able to use that for asteroid rendezvous operations as well as Mars sample return, um, which they're hoping to do also. Now, what's striking to me is just the speed of this entire mission. Launch to sample return in a matter of a month stands in pretty stark contrast to the long plays of Osiris Rex, which you know only just collected its samples this year after a launch in 2016, and uh, Hayabusa 2, which is delivering its samples right now this morning uh, after six years in space. So this mission is sort of like a microcosm to uh, to me of the entire Chinese lunar program. The program started real slow with two orbiters in 2007 and 2010, uh, but then started picking up speed with a rover mission, Chang'e 3, in 2013. 2018, they launched uh, Chichao, which is their relay satellite. Chang'e 4 landed in early 2019, another rover, and now Chang'e 5, which is a lunar sample return, uh, all by the end of 2020. And just like that, in seven years, uh, Chinese went from having just an orbiter or two to having two rovers and a sample return mission kind of on the books. Now, we're probably going to see a little bit of a lull now in the lunar program as they process these successes and samples and move forward with the next phase of their kind of operation. We learned that their upcoming Saturn V class rocket, which is the long March 9, is not entirely off the table yet. There were some rumors last year that led us to believe that maybe they were reconsidering uh, and moving to sort of a... Smaller Long March 5 heavy edition, if you will, um, but it looks like they're they are still considering this Long March 9. It's a massive 10 meter booster with four or five meter side boosters. So the side boosters of this rocket are currently the diameter of their largest single rocket today. It would put 140 tons into low Earth orbit, which would beat SLS block one by half. Again, It's it's just giant. Uh, so this booster or whether they go with the long march 5 heavy edition either way it's going to be quite the enabler for china the middle of this decade could be a even stronger period for them as they build on these uh, successes with Chang'e and begin preparing for a human exploration of the moon china's had a plan and they're executing it really well right now it's hard not to think that nasa and congress will start getting a little uncomfortable with it. Um, I'm sure that the little Chinese flag that Chang'e 5 deployed uh, this week as well isn't going to help them feel any better soon. All right, over to uh, some news about Orion and SLS. It's a bit of a scoop over at The Verge this week where Lauren Grush has reported on a problem with the Orion spacecraft marked for the Artemis 1 mission, the uncrewed demo of Orion that is going to fly to the moon as part of the very first launch of SLS. One of Orion's eight power and data units, which are these key pieces that kind of power and you know command the whole spacecraft, had its redundant channel fail. So it's not a primary part failure, it's a redundant part failure. Um, now the SLS rocket is still likely more than a year away from launching and Orion is mostly ready to go. So yeah, you know, it's been waiting at Kennedy Center, Space Center for some time now uh, for SLS to finish up its assembly and testing. So you'd think that swapping this out would be a pretty easy fix. But the power and data unit is apparently buried deep inside the spacecraft between the capsule and the service module. To get it out, the entire spacecraft would need to be disassembled and reassembled, which Lockheed Martin estimates would take nine months, followed by three more months of testing all over again. Now, there's another option to tunnel in through the side where they would kind of remove some panels that were not meant to be removed in this way and then sort of repair it afterward. This apparently would only take about four months, Or they could just fly without it because it is a redundant channel after all, and there are no people on board. But that doesn't quite seem like a very NASA-like decision in 2020. So now the question is, which path do you take and whether to take the extra risk and shorten the process, knowing that SLS likely won't make it uh, on its current November 2020 launch date on time? It's kind of a crappy spot for ryan to be in and probably a good lesson in kind of what happens when you let a spacecraft sit around for a slow developing rocket uh you know uh, there's plenty of examples of spacecraft waiting for rockets that don't turn out well i'm thinking of the galileo mission when it was um uh, parked because of the challenger accident it was originally supposed to go up on shuttle uh you know it it uh its high-gain antenna wasn't, wouldn't deploy because it was kind of stuck in storage and the, the grease on the hinges kind of wore out. So uh, it's not a good thing to leave these spacecraft uh, sitting around. But it's also probably a lesson in modularity for Lockheed Martin because that's a really long process to replace this power and data unit. Uh, you know, 12 months end-to-end to, end to, to swap that out was pretty rough. Now, meanwhile, SLS does start its Green Run test the 7th of the 8th, uh, seventh of the eight tests for the green run campaign. Uh, this is the wet dress rehearsal. It starts it today. Uh, there's a press conference this Thursday to discuss the results of it. So it's going to be kind of ongoing this week for a few days. And then at that press conference, they plan on setting a date for the hot fire, which is the final green run test. So we may have some answers soon to help, uh, those Orion engineers decide which path they want to take. A quick note uh, from Blue Origin this week, uh, as we're on the topic of rockets, they announced the start of a fourth series of hot fire tests for its BE-7 engine. This is the engine which will power the company's Blue Moon lander, as well as the transfer element built by Northrop Grumman for their human landing system. So it's got a multi-purpose engine here. It's a vacuum engine. Uh, It was a 20-second test firing this week, which brings the total cumulative firing time they've uh, built up on this engine to about 20 minutes uh, in their test flow. We'll probably see a lot of progress updates about the human landing system providers uh, this month as they jockey to get their bids in on time. Uh, I think they're all due by the end of the month or so, though who knows what's going to happen in the new year once the Biden administration takes over. So I don't know where to go with this news story other than to say that. (laughs) Um, I have a paper for you this week, science paper. It's a new paper from Guyon et al. on some ISRU technology, in situ resource utilization. The team from Washington University in St. Louis has patented a new process for extracting both oxygen and hydrogen out of water. Now, we've known how to do this for a long time. Obviously, it's a process called electrolysis. Uh, But what's remarkable here is that they were able to do it not with pure water, but with a briny simulated Martian regolith substance, you know, and they did it inside of a Martian atmosphere, a simulated Martian atmosphere. So the team used something called simulated martian regolithic brine which is you know again it's an approximation of kind of what the briny water on mars might be like it's this salty sludge trying to you know match what we know about it we don't have a, a sample of this brine obviously but they did some pretty educated guesses of what it might be like they dropped it down to negative 36 degrees centigrade and then they performed the experiment and they were able to uh, uh extract hydrogen and oxygen out of it. They use some specialized materials and some components designed in-house. That's why it's kind of a patented thing. They were able to produce what they say is 25 times more oxygen than the MOXIE experiment. MOXIE, of course, is the one heading to the surface of Mars as we speak on the Perseverance rover to sort of test pulling oxygen out of the CO2 in the air. Uh, and of course they also made all the hydrogen to go along with that that's pretty cool stuff uh, obviously has an implication for processing resources on the surface of mars one day the hydrogen from this process can be combined with co2 in the air to make methane which can be joined with oxygen to power a rocket or they can just use the hydrogen as is um you know to to make fuel or or, or whatever you want to do with it energy storage is one option for all this stuff you I mean, making your own fossil fuels essentially uh, but it can also be used here on Earth. Uh, processing impure water has applications with better utilizing the ocean as a source of oxygen for things. Um, one example they mentioned was submarines. You could you know, pull oxygen out of the ocean around you. So it's pretty cool stuff, and uh, I can't wait to learn more about what they wanna do with it. All right, so on to our spacecraft updates. We don't have any updates from the uh, the flotilla of Mars spacecraft way to Mars right now. So we're gonna go right over to our surface assets. Uh, starting with insight today is Sol 719. I don't have any operational mission updates from insight this week, but we do have a really cool science paper that came out that I wanted to highlight. Uh, the is by Stutzman et al out of the, uh, Institut de physique du globe de Paris, which is the, uh, you know, the Paris geophysics Institute, which is the place where they operate the seismometer on, uh, insight. The paper seeks to measure the seismic noise of Mars. You can kind of think of this as like the background seismic sound that a planet makes when there aren't some you know kind of discrete seismic events piercing that noise so on earth when there isn't an earthquake happening you have this sort of background noise it's a hum and it's mostly linked here on earth to surface activity of ocean waves so you can really hear the waves of the entire global oceans kind of beating into this background noise of seismic activity for earth They jostle the water back and forth and you can measure that pretty effectively uh, almost anywhere. But on Mars, there's no ocean. So scientists were really curious to learn what it might sound like on Mars. What is the background noise of Mars? Now, it turns out that the background noise of Mars is about 500 times quieter than here on Earth, going as low as negative 200 decibels at night uh, and climbing to uh, just 30 decibels higher than that during the day. Now, most of this noise that they were able to to suss out was kind of attributable to wind rather than waves so um, the group was even able to correlate like seismic activity to wind direction during the day so that's pretty crazy to see but at night when it quiets down and the wind calms a bit they were able to hear the ambient martian background noise with the most sophisticated seismometer off of earth and that is just really cool so i'll put the link to that paper in the show notes you can take a look at it if you want to read further and then finally, uh, with Curiosity, today is Sol 2961, and this week, Curiosity showed us the meaning of haste, if you'll forgive a Lord of the Rings reference there. Uh, coming out of Thanksgiving weekend in the United States, the rover was making full speed to the southeast. From the previous location, it was exploring these so-called benches of rocks that form a sort of stepwise climb up to this higher area of Torridon. Glentoridan, of course, is the major area the rover is currently exploring. It's characterized by these flat kind of clay-bearing rocks and these little nodular pebbles that are littered all over the place. So Curiosity had gathered all that it could from these benches, and so it was time to keep moving east, and as it makes its way around this huge patch of sand dunes on its way to the next major region, which is a sulfate-bearing unit. So this week we saw three drives. There was a 69-meter drive, a 51-meter drive, and then finally a 30-meter drive as it's continued its traverse. Um, If you haven't yet, now is a really good time to check out the recently revamped Curiosity Traverse map on JPL's website. They completely redid it. Uh, It used to be like a collection of static maps, so you could kind of browse by Sol and say, oh, here's what the map looks like and the, the path the rover has taken. But now they've built a sort of interactive map that has all the data points plotted on it and so you can zoom in and move around and see exactly where the rover is with all the salt uh, the salt dates you know stamped on it it's fantastic so i'll put a link in the show notes and you can take a look at that uh, along the way the team commanded some pretty common touch and go style science so the rover continued to monitor the environment here in the late summer on southern mars uh, dust activity is still happening even though we're kind of getting to the end of the season now it does this, of course, by measuring the tau of the atmosphere, basically checking the dust content by seeing how much light from the sun makes it down to the surface. Uh, it's also keeping its eye out for dust devils that periodically make its way across the landscape using its nav cam uh, video capability. The ChemCam instrument on the rover's mast was real busy this week using its Aegis uh, targeting system. This is the sort of artificial intelligence that autonomously picks rock targets uh, and the rover drives by so they can kind of shoot it with this laser and do breakdown spe- spectroscopy on it. That's a tough word for me to say. And then the MastCam cam did some long distance mosaics as well to get some uh, geologic transitions that were coming up ahead of it. Now, as with all the target names in this area of Mars, the ones this week were named for places in Scotland. This includes some gems like Edinburgh, Bruggs, and Brogay. hope I said that right, Brogay. So stick around next week for more updates. The rover has some routine maintenance coming up, and then we'll spend some time exploring this new area that it has just reached. And then one final quick note as we uh, close up here on the Starship flight we talked about last week. Uh, While we had hoped for it to be this week, Friday was kind of the day we were all looking for. It seems like it has now been pushed to next week. It could be as early as tomorrow, uh, more likely Monday, I'm thinking. So hang in there next week and uh, our next episode will give you the coverage of that amazing now 12 and a half kilometer flight that they're going to do with this uh, full up prototype. So that's it. Huge thank you to everyone who listened. And uh, if you like this episode and you want to support what I'm doing, uh, head over to wemartians.com slash support, Uh, become a patron at whatever level that you can afford. I know that 2020 is a tough year for everybody, but uh, it's important to keep the the things that you love afloat. And uh, so that's me asking for your support. I try not to bother you guys too much with, um, you know, advertisements about what I do all year. But uh, here in December, I try to make a little bit of a pitch just to help you uh, remember what kind of cool things we offer with patreon so i want to make more space stuff and i need your help to do it but that's it so have a great weekend everybody and at aries